Welcome to All Nurses Are Beautiful, because all nurses are beautiful. If complicit in a evil, unjust, inequitable, for-profit healthcare system. Today's guest is Don Colliver, author of Wink, also a clown, a teacher, author, obviously, writer, I don't know if you can say both of those, director, producer, is that all of it? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think you would tell me if there were more. (laughs) I think when you're a creative, the hyphenates get a little ridiculous after a while, yeah. Yeah, same with nursing. They keep adding letters at the end of the Yeah. Is there anything uh, you can let me know at the start to uh, help me take care of you in this interview as best as I can? Uh, no, thanks for asking. Just uh, I'm grateful to be here. Like, I'm happy to, to chat with you. Yeah, I'm super, I'm super excited to, to sit down and talk to you. Um, I'm a big fan of you as a clown. Uh, I think that you're pretty amazing. And I read, I read your book and I... I love it. So Wink, tell me the whole title. It's Wink, Transforming Public Speaking with Clown Presence is the book. And uh, yeah, it's it's written for folks who have to speak either in their teams or at work, but they are just struggle with connecting with an audience. Uh, it's not really written for professional performers or uh, anything. It's really written for people with uh, stage fright or people that are just really uncomfortable presenting maybe at their church or their spiritual community or something like that. And I found just my work in clown uh, really transformed the way I showed up speaking and it was really incredibly freeing. So, uh, I wanted to help folks. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, so I read it and I feel like there's so much in the book for not just like presenters, speakers, but just connecting in your everyday life. Do you see that? Absolutely. Yeah. And more so even after releasing it and hearing from people who've read it, it's just about the ability to connect with people. Um, and connect either in small groups, large groups, one-on-one. There's certain skills that you work on in performance that are very translatable. And a lot of times um, there's kind of a barrier of like clown, like what's that floppy shoe, creepy, scary beast, you know, but there's beneath that, there are some some techniques that are really, really healthy and helpful and good for empathy. Yeah. Uh, are you familiar with the uh, medical clown at all? Uh, I am. Uh, I have quite a few friends in clown that do medical clowning. I feel like that's just next level stuff. Just incredibly highly skilled, like ninja level of empathy just a huge respect for people who who do that. Yeah, I I don't have I have zero experience in it other than being a nurse and trying co- to connect in that way. But I I've never had that lens of clown until the last couple of years, uh, and it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I mean, and but even just nursing, like your realm 
I have such huge respect for, and I want to hear from you in this interview too, about just, you know, delivering challenging news. I talk a little bit about that in the book and how to navigate that and boundaries and empathy, uh, like dealing in life and death situations. It's just a whole nother level of, of, getting yourself ready and prepped and uh, kind of having yourself together. So I would love to hear about how you navigate that. Yeah, definitely. And that was a a huge part of the book. Let's jump in the book. Um, So essentially it's broken down into five P's, uh, which I'm realizing you did an audio book and you really set yourself up with five P's talking into a mic. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Five plosives. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the five P's of clown presence personal confidence, preparation, partnership, imperfection, uh, and play. Exactly. How'd you come yeah. up with those? Yeah. So uh, it was um, challenging fitting in what I wanted to say into some kind of a a rubric of so it's easy to grasp. And for example, personal confidence, I had to rewrite that chapter three or four times um, with the help of a developmental editor to really say what I wanted to say. And, and because, you know, if you look, it's like personal confidence is not really a P, but I had to really work on that. But I am pleased uh, because it's exactly, the book is exactly what I wanted to say. It's what I cover in my classes. And the reason I wrote the book initially was I was doing these classes and I was like, man, this is really different than anybody. I was teaching these classes at Google and uh, public speaking. And it's like, this stuff is really different than any other curriculum. It's much different than Toastmasters, which I did for quite a few years. And people were really responding to it in like a deep, way that they felt freer, like the same way when people take improv for the first time and they're just like, oh my gosh, like I'm so opened up. I've finally gotten permission to be myself and I've finally gotten support. And all of a sudden you really see like all the different facets of people and it just been, everybody becomes so much more fascinating. That's kind of why I wrote the book and why I needed to find the, some kind of a structure, which was what the five P's became. Yeah. Whenever you say people became so much more fascinating, it reminds me of, you know, Avner. What's Avner the eccentric? Avner the eccentric. Yeah. Uh, be in performing, be interested and not interesting. And oh. in the way that when people are fascinating, they're fascinated by whatever they're engaging in. Right. And so much, I mean, another way of saying that is just like, how can you get the focus off of yourself for a while? Yeah. Um, It makes your life so much easier. Yeah. And it's exhausting, you know, and it's kind of, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, I hope I don't screw up. I hope I don't screw up. Oh man. And then like something's going to go wonky, but kind of in the book, my solution is how can you, shift your focus to the audience? How can you shift your focus to being of service uh, rather than on yourself? And, and there's and some... as far as... Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. As far as I understood, that was that was the clown element. That's um, what I understand clown to be is 
is getting away from your own ego and your own um, lens to, to really connect to the audience. So, and that's what is clown? No one, there's not really a consensus. Do you have a very, do you have a, a, a real solid uh, per, personal definition of clown? Oh man. I'm starting to wonder if, because it, the word clown has such a problematic history and, and connotations. I can see why John Gilkey called his class the idiot workshop because it just avoids the whole mm-hmm. need for explanation. Um, for me, when I first started doing this kind of work, I had a really deep background in improvisation, improvisational mm-hmm. comedy, improv, specifically through Upright Citizens Brigade. And when I started working in clown, the closest one-to-one was like, I was doing improv, but my partner was the audience and they didn't know the rules. So I had to keep the thing going on, whatever they did Mm -hmm. and stay on my toes to pivot, to field whatever response they got. That was my first understanding of clown. But however, that's why the personal confidence chapter was so challenging to write because that's really there's a lot of pitfalls in that because if you have a tendency, I should say me, I have a tendency to angle towards codependence or like, are you okay? Like making Mm. that. And you, if you go too far that way, that's not helpful for anybody. You're starting to hook your well-being on the well-being of the audience. And that can be, dangerous both for you and for the audience if you come into that situation needing something from the audience to make you feel okay uh so you really need it's critical to build however you build and there's many different ways as old as time how do you build that feeling of like i'm all right i am enough walking into this situation and there's like you know spirituality there's like 12-step programs there's all kinds of solutions therapy dealing with your childhood crap like all that stuff um and it's just important to be aware of that like what are your motives like moving into those situations yeah i feel like we could talk all day about just that one little phrase you are enough in nursing and this happens in medicine i think so much that giving hard news, like you were talking about before, to get away from like your own reaction to how you're making someone feel with the news and not who you are and what you're bringing as, you know, personally as a person. I think it's maybe impossible to really tease those apart, but going going some ways toward that is, is I think, uh, necessary. Yeah, like how how do you how do you deal with that? Like what training do you have? Like how do you release it after? Like how do you do that? Um as a nurse, I didn't have any training. And I don't think I paid attention to it if I did as um through school. There's so much of the technical that really takes up your your focus and in your framing. So you do, I think, fall back on whatever you have in your life, spiritual, personal connections, uh, self-help, whatever that is. For me, I've been a nurse for 10 years. And in my my opinion, there's just getting proficient with the tasks 
and then you start to like feel the the burnout um and the the moral uh fatigue and that's when you start to seek like how do i deal with that and so Mm -hmm. clown improv those things have been huge for me personally awesome yeah that's great i know like improv for me helped me in other aspects of my life and clown too in i started to understand that oh like i can just show up act on impulse and it's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. And maybe it's going to be better than it would have been even if I planned something. And in the past, I always was like, I got to plan every possible yeah. outcome of this. And I started to get comfortable with um, the unknown is still scary. But what I got comfortable with is my response in the moment. Like my response yeah. in the moment, I was like, oh, I can trust that. Like, I'm not going to completely drive the bus off the cliff in those moments. Yeah, it makes sense to me. And um, the first two P's, personal confidence and preparation, and I think you, you set this up in the book, are two sides of, of the same coin. Preparation is necessary for you to bring your personal confidence. Um, without preparation, you're not respecting the audience, um, is what you, I believe you say in the book. And as a nurse, that preparation you never feel like you're prepared enough because there are an infinite number of ways things could go wrong. So what do you have to say about that? Because you can never prepare completely. How do you know that you've prepared enough and how do you deal with feeling like you haven't prepared enough? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're talking the stakes between your world and my world could not be more different, but Uh, I think what does relate is doing a lot of low stakes practice feels like an overused word, but just being very comfortable in the environment, speaking or delivering presentations or communicating gives me personally. And in the book I talk about, it gives someone the confidence that, okay, I, I know the structure of how to approach every possible thing that's coming at me. I have a structure, like a decision tree of how to mm. handle these unknowns. I may not know the exact process, but I know how I can confidently make decisions in the moment. And I think that's like preparation is, I believe I talk about, it's just like table stakes. Like That's just the basics, like in terms of public speaking, like understanding the outline, doing some practice, that kind of stuff, developing a a decent uh, presentation, that's table stakes. But the thing I was thinking about before, in terms of unknowns and in terms of dealing with uncomfortable, like delivering bad news, one thing as a teacher that is kind of the holy grail for me that I'm always, I'll never achieve and I'm always working towards. And I've been with amazing teachers who really do this is something called holding the space. And that's probably something you're familiar with in nursing. And, and when it, the way it impacts delivering bad news, like if, if someone needs to tell a team about something like they're getting laid off or they're getting canned or they're, they're losing money or something like that. Um, just like you said of like, Oh, how do I handle it within myself delivering this bad news and making these people sad? Uh, a lot of that is personal stuff for me about like Mm -hmm. 
like back like I didn't want my mom to get mad like I'll do anything to keep her because like that is I, I literally in my child brain like my mom could kick me out of the house like she would never do that but like yeah. but that's the stakes now that is the past that is not yeah. the case anymore and kind of mood, working with that those old issues and working through those i think allows me to give people the 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 permission and the space to have emotions and i can be here and i can be present with them when they're mad or sad even if it's at me i can be present and not react and that's such a huge gift and uh i i'm very cautious around any kind of clown training or when other people are developing clown training because you're playing with very, very sensitive stuff and you need to be ready to hold the space. If someone goes in a place that's very tender, if mm. you suddenly shut it down, you've just messed up like 10 years of therapy. Like <laughs> you're asking someone to go places and you need to be ready to hold that space, give them permission to have those um, feelings and just validate it. Like, yeah, you're having feelings right now and that's fine. The only thing that's not cool is like inappropriate behavior, but yeah. feelings are okay. It's okay to be mad. Like, and I'm here, like I can take it, you can have it and let it, just let it go. And I think that's, I think that's the transition, the, the connection with, with nursing, like you're talking about. And I don't, I honestly, I, aside from keeping at it, like, I don't know the tips of like getting better at holding space aside from deal with your shit, your childhood yeah. shit and practice. You know what I mean? Yeah. In nursing school, I, I it was there. There's this very simple, um, kind of concept that's like hammered whenever I was going to school 10 years ago, hammered in, uh, of ask questions and don't tell someone how, how they feel. Mm. which is essentially holding space as far as I understand it. Uh, yeah. Just be curious and let someone experience what they're experiencing. Yeah. That's funny. Like in, in I'm teaching an advanced improv class at Google and a lot of beginning improvisers, they're like, we got to get conflict. Like how can, what they want to get into a conflict yeah. really fast. But when you see a really skilled group, you rarely see that kind of conflict because it's more productive if someone's acting oddly in a scene or unusual. It's more productive to be curious and compassionate. Uh, I got that from a guy named Will Hines who wrote a book called uh, How to Be the World's Greatest Improviser. Um, yeah. But uh, and I found that to be a good place in any situation, like Oh, I'm curious as to why you're mad. Oh, I get that. Like curious and compassion can can be really productive. Yeah, definitely. And what I've done, some something that I've really done that's helped me be in that moment and hold space is somatic work and working on my own nervous system whenever I'm dealing with someone else's discomfort. Um, it's so Yeah, what does that mean? So it's so easy to react to someone else's d discomfort and to negate it. I mean, it feels like you're doing something good for someone 
but what you're doing is like trying to make yourself comfortable comfortable totally yeah and it's really hard to recognize in my opinion especially in the moment especially when stakes are high that are you trying to calm your own nervous system are you uncomfortable and going the next step of being there for someone who and and aware and and curious and and present when someone else is going through something uncomfortable and that's clown and improv like you say uh in the preparation you were saying just reps like go through where the stakes are low and feeling those things for me in improv gives me an opportunity to experience that when the stakes are low as opposed to when things are going wrong at work. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. And I think like I talk about self-care in the first in personal confidence, you know, cause I got a, I had so much stuff in there, man, that I had to edit <laughs> out. Like it's hard work and you can't force it. It comes when it comes. And it's like just being for me, being aware of like, what do I like to do? Like, what can I do just for me? I just did a really hard thing. How can I go take care of myself, reward myself that's disconnected from this, like making people feel better? You know what I mean? Yeah. And that was kind of a new skill set I had to learn. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, making feel people feel better. And that is, I think, a crossover between clown, nursing and most of life, I guess, too. But. Uh, you also talk about the growth mindset. That is the belief that you can change and that improvement's possible versus fixed mindset where you believe that you're born with a set level of ability. So when you fail, it's a failure that you're never going to get over. And it's easy to just like run away and try never to be in that situation again. Um, yeah. So being in those situations re re-experiencing them whenever the stakes are low in the same way. Yeah. I mean, I think growth mindset is one way of saying, how can I get a little distance from this situation and take a broader mm. view as opposed yeah. to it was all on this one moment, you know, but taking a step back and being like, life is long. Like I've made yeah. a ton of progress and like, this is one piece of a million pieces like and it's so hard to do that in the moment but yeah yeah we could talk about this forever personal confidence and preparation and those are the things that you do basically alone or before you're in that moment of participation which is the third p so personal confidence as a nurse that's just working on your own shit like you say that's like working on your emotional and framework and then partnership preparation is essentially nursing school and and uh, learning on the job. And then you have partnership where you're present for someone. And it's easy to be a nurse without partnership. And the paternalism of, of medicine exists. And that we could talk about that all day. But partnership. What does that mean? Paternalism of medicine. So making people better instead of helping people. Be more Get comfortable and healthy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's an assumption that you know what's best for for whoever you're serving. I see. 
and there's a caretaking versus caregiving um, paradigm where caretaking is is a codependent um, position of of you what you concerned about what you're getting out of it and your feelings about how someone is mm-hmm. um and that i i need you to be better i need you to do this for yourself i need you it's about your needs as opposed to caregiving is you know being present for someone and seeing how you can be of service big time yeah 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 that's so <clears throat> such a a critical question. And I kind of ran into that, um, in performance. Uh, I was on tour for Spiegel world for this three month tour through North America. And so I was going up, I was a host clown for this show in a tent and it was like 800 people a night. And, um, a lot of, you know, I was the focus, me and my partner Mm. were the focus of, throughout the night in between these acts and there came a moment where I was I really had to evaluate like why am I doing this like Hmm. am I doing this because I I just want that attention like I just want it and like and I realized like in that little brief tour that they'll never you're never going to get enough attention in fact Hmm. It's going to feel bad every time you finish a show and go back to the apartment. Like, and what I kind of eventually got to, I kind of left that world for a while because I was really questioning my motives of like, why am I doing this? And I think really, like you say, the only safe motive is really honestly being brutally honest, coming into a situation to be of service. That's really and like, it can be like, my motives can be sneaky. I can be like, oh yeah, I'm being of service. I'm, I'm giving yeah. laughs. But if I'm really like, are you really being of, like, or are you just trying to boost your ego? Like any kind of a performer eventually runs up against that question and you really need to figure out what it means to you and how do you resolve it? Yeah, a hundred percent. And you'll never fully resolve it. Mm-hmm. And so what I was saying about paternalism um, in clown presence, you share control. Rupa Maria, who wrote a book, co-wrote a book, Inflamed, says the physician will always be the landowner. And that was in a presentation I saw, not in the book, but the, the physician will always be the landowner. And that's paternalism. That's a, a control you have a medical knowledge that's, you know, 10 years in the, in, um, of, of right. medical school and training that you can't give to someone in a moment of crisis when they're sick. So how can you both offer that medical, like, authority and knowledge and also share control? Mm. That's a lot of what I, what I just said. That was a lot. Uh, no, I think that's so interesting. I unpack. What does that mean, landowner? I think I understand the kind of imbalance of like, yeah, here's this physician delivering like knowledge that they just have and the other person does not have. Um, but what does landowner mean? 
Yeah, that in my mind, that's what I'm what I understand it to be of the medical training and access to, I guess, system of making sense of the war of the of the body and the, and the individual and health. You as a person, you 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 can feel your comfort and discomfort. Th- these are conceptions that are highly technical. Whenever you're you're talking about performing a heart surgery. Like you can't really communicate everything that you understand about the picture you're seeing of a patient. Uh, you kind of have to assume as a patient that you're being taken care of. Yeah, totally. And, and kind of the, the drastically lower stakes, I'm almost ashamed to compare it to, but it's like when I bring my car in, um, yeah. And the mechanic, like, explains something. Um, it's a tough call because I guess what, I, what I'm saying in the book is can you, in partnership, if, if you are across the table from your audience or your listener and you're, like, throwing information at them as a, as a physician with, from a place of knowledge, deep knowledge that the other person in imbalance... Yeah. Is there a way that you can get on the same side of the table and be looking together at the issue um, and both kind of work towards a solution? And I guess in a, in a medical situation, that would entail holding that space for the reactions of the other person. Because when I think of what I want, I want you to respect me and explain it in ways I can understand. But I think really what I want is I want to feel that you understand how I'm feeling. That's really what I want. And when I feel that way from like, I'm dealing with a sick cat right now and I'm not getting that from my vet, I don't feel like they understand they, she has empathy from with my, like I have limited cash. Like you're asking me for all these tests and I don't understand why, and you're not making me feel comfortable about it. Um, I think there's two aspects. And then I think probably a lot of folks in, in your world would be like, I just spent, you know, two decades learning how to fix hearts. Like, why do I also need to be super empathic? And to a point I'm kind of like, you're not wrong. Like, I just want you to be good at fixing my heart send somebody else in there to like relate to me and make me feel better about it. You know what I mean? So I guess I, I, I see both sides and, and what, yeah, go ahead. Well, paternalism is definitely built into the system and medicine as we understand it requires a paternalism, but there are, are, vastly different styles of, of being paternalistic from, you know, paternalism, father being a parent to uh, an infant versus to an adult son, you know, like what kind of responsibility does a, a person have? You kind of have to consider that. How much can you be together in a decision? Um, and when someone's down on the ground and they can't talk to you about what they want, there are very different situations. Right. Um, like when do you give back agency? You mean? Yeah. Right. And yeah. like you with your cat, 
you you can get kind of a tunnel vision um, in medicine and everywhere else that like I know how to make it better. I can't imagine what it's that you have to have like a cost benefit analysis. And you don't largely whenever you're talking about, say, uh, reperfusing a heart after a heart attack, like you just you can most of the time just um, lean against that assumption that we need to make it better. Right. But then you're dealing with someone who's 90 years old and, and making that heart better. They're going to have so many other problems and you can't make that decision for someone. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. It's, it sounds so difficult. And like, I, speak at trade shows and I've worked uh -huh. a few medical trade shows with physicians and specialists there. They see the world in a different way. And I think the, the trite way of saying it is they, they are, they see themselves as God and in a way they are like the person who knows the right thing to do. Like right. they know the right answer. Uh, and like, if I'm like, Hey, you want to come, here, listen to this presentation about medical devices, they're, they're going to bring that like maybe kind of jerk pers yeah. perspective to that response. But in a way, I'm like, well, I'm glad this person is d decisive because he needs to be because he's fixing brains. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's a. I'm glad I'm not a doctor, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Me too. A hundred percent. Yeah. But it's so important to have low stakes opportunities to really figure out how to, how to deal with those kind of issues. For sure. Um, I mean, yeah. And it, and it goes there, there, there just as in, many self-helpy kind of things. There's kind of surface ways to handle it. Like, for example, emotional intelligence was cool to talk about like five, 10 years ago. And there yeah. are techniques of like, how do I, you know, gauge how someone is reacting to something? How do I um, regulate my own responses? You know, and these are very surface ways of, of dealing with it. It's not really dealing with the underlying issues, which is all from when you're a kid, um, mm -hmm. you know, and people, you know, maybe people never want to deal with that, which is fine, too. But, uh, yeah, I think dealing with the base reasons that you're reacting in the way you do, I think, is is the long term solution for a lot of this stuff. Yeah. In the book, you say that without empathy um, for your audience, vulnerability can lead to resentment. Uh, towards them if they disagree with your message. Right. Um, yeah. Do you have more to say about that, I guess? Um, well, it's, yeah, like, say you need to deliver some kind of information to a patient and they're mad. Yeah. How do you react to that? Not, I don't mean verbally, but I mean in your brain, like, or in your body, how do you react to that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I bring it up because I feel like that's what we're talking about. 
your life as a clown and a performer and uh, producing art. Um, give like I'm making the assumption that that's where you get this lens that I would find it so hard to figure out. And because uh, I've read this, I, I can make sense of my own experiences. Uh, and it makes sense to me that when I've been vulnerable and I've told someone hard news, the empathy component, like, if I have a, if I have feelings about their reaction, it's not really that it's not really fair. If I, if I have been vulnerable and considerate without empathy, does that make sense? You, what do you mean? It's not fair, not fair for you to have feelings about their reaction. Um, re the resentment, it's not fair to myself and it's not fair to them to be feeling a way, um, to be resentful, to create that tension. So the tension that I feel is like me distancing from a human being and going yeah. into technical robot mode. Okay, I'll just do my job. Um, and in performance, I am it's you know getting away from the joy of performance. Um, that's how I understand it, at least. Yeah. I mean, it's so easy for me if if someone doesn't take what I say right. It's like the easiest thing is to, in my brain, be like, screw that guy, whatever. Yeah. I don't need to see that person again. Like, right. whatever, screw them. And I feel like kind of the next level of development would be like, I wonder what's going on with them. Like, maybe they yeah. had something going on. Maybe they, like, maybe their mom died last week. Like, that from, and, and, I think the truth is everybody's always got that going on. Everybody mm -hmm. always is dealing with a ton of crap like yeah. that we don't see. And, and this is me saying this to myself. Like I want to be more like this, you know? Oh, yeah. um, and I think the great thing about, you know, speaking just performance or presentations, it's like, it's 10 minutes. It's, t I can do it for 10 minutes. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, but moving through life like that is another level of, of developing that kind of empathy is, is something really to shoot for. Yeah. I feel like if you want to get better at anything, work on being a better person and you'll make, you know, strides. Mm -hmm. um, and that, I mean, I guess that's the next, uh, next P is imperfection and how to deal with that and how to, one, recognize your failings and then to work on them. You say public speaking is public to improve. You have to make <laughs> mistakes. When we make public speaking mistakes, they happen in public. Right. What are, are those maxims? What, what, how, what, would, what do you call that? <laughs> some sort of logic. It's some sort of logical, right? Uh, that was just a clever way to start the so I read somewhere like if you got to start your chapters with a bang up sentence and that's what I came <laughs> up with for that one. Not exactly well, bang up sentence, but it stuck, yeah, it it stuck with me. Yeah. Premise number one, public speaking happens in public premise. Number two, to improve, we must make mistakes. Therefore, when we make public speaking mistakes, they will happen. You guessed it in public. Yikes. Right. And the same in medicine, like whenever you're, they call it practicing medicine, 
But whenever you are existing in the world, you're going to make mistakes. So you'll make mistakes existing in the world. When you're in a hospital, working in a hospital, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to make mistakes in high high stakes situations. So how do you deal with uh, imperfection? Well, I can't speak to making a high stakes mistake in a hospital. Uh, well, any mistake. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. all, it's all scaled. It's all like, yeah. For, and we for, really do. All of us have these situations. We all have moments in our lives that are super high stakes. Maybe, sure. I mean, to us and definitely in medicine, you have a healthy distance. So my personal mistakes um, and my personal stakes in my personal life are higher than whatever happens in the hospital, even though it can be devastating there. Everyone has devastations at work, you know, whatever mm-hmm. you work in. So dealing with imperfection in my mind is dealing with imperfection. So how, right. how do you deal with it? Yeah. Well, I think for the sake of presentations and this came from clown, it's like, acknowledging a mistake as soon as possible and moving past it. Uh, I think the book is more, the book starts by saying ignoring a mistake in a presentation is about the worst thing you can do. Uh, if, if there's yeah. a blunder, if a PowerPoint goes down and spill the water, if you don't acknowledge that and just like tense up and push on through the audiences may probably be like, why is this person not acknowledging the the water yeah. spill? Like that's so weird. And then they aren't really listening. Whereas I've found acknowledging the mistake, acknowledging that, you know, I'm a human, but also showing my humanity and that I persevere and I continue forward it kind yeah. of makes it even better. It gets people more on my side. And that's like, name it. That's the whole secret to what clowning is. A lot yeah. of times you'll be scripted mistakes because like just keeping, keeping on trying with more creative mistakes is basically what a clown bit is. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and never giving up hope, even if it's like this kind of, you know, in a clown perspective, kind of a silly, energy but never giving up um yeah i read this book called why is that so funny by this guy john wright and and it's it's pretty theatery it's pretty dense read but there was one quote in it that said um uh, something like a stifled laugh quickly becomes a sneer or something like that and Hmm. what i took from that is if like if i'm watching someone and they screw up and i like kind of like I pretend like I didn't notice that Mm -hmm. I kind of lose a little respect for them. Whereas if they give me permission to laugh, I don't lose respect. I'm like, okay, you're cool. I, you know, you screwed up. I know you screwed up. You know, I know you screwed up. We can move forward. It's good. Like, uh, yeah, that's what I took away from that. Yeah. You, you're, you're being brought into a false reality. You're you're making a contract at that moment of we're gonna we're gonna ignore that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's a contract of dishonesty and disconnection. Great way of putting it. Yeah, and in um in the culture of medicine, you don't acknowledge mistakes very easily. There's a financial component, right? Oh, there are Huge. so yeah. many components. 
<laughs> well, there is a system built on a profit motive that pushes everyone in these these kind of like invisible ways. And what I hear as a nurse is like, your your license is on the line. Your license is on the line. And it's a it's a place uh, of privilege to to think. I don't care. I would rather acknowledge mistakes than to hide them. Whenever I started nursing, I was very poor and it, the stakes were so much different for me in that moment. And I was such a, and I was so bad at nurse. Like the first day you're a nurse, you're going to be super bad at it. And the turnovers of nursing nurses are progressively younger on average because the burnout is just getting worse and worse. Mm. So how do you, how do you get rid of the potential to disconnect by ignoring mistakes? Yeah. Oh, what do you think? Well, to say my license is not worth, <laughs> is not worth um, not being able to connect with people, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and to realize like it takes a lot to get your license taken away and the surest path to like making a mistake large enough. There's someone in the news recently who was, um, a nurse that made an awful, uh, medical uh, medication mistake, um, error and was tried criminally. And the only way you get to that level i believe is if you do not allow yourself moments of learning like if you're great at hiding your mistakes you escalate the degree of mistake mm. i see so find your way finding your way to acknowledging imperfection and acknowledging mistakes prevents you from making future mistakes that's my claim yeah, that makes that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's such it's such high stakes, your world, it's hard for me to wrap my head around. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's a big. Uh, yeah, I oh, I do want to talk about science of imperfection. And then we can move on. Because there's so I mean, there's so much here. And it's Yeah, but uh, so the blender salesman do you want to talk about it <laughs> yeah 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 um <clears throat> yeah i i was looking for research on what i had seen in clown which is yeah imperfection deepens connection like if mm -hmm. it is if it is handled properly um yeah. as opposed to a flawless impenetrable godlike figure and there was this study done. It was a pop psychology study, not like with hundreds and thousands of people, but mm. um, it was for a book. Uh, I forget it's referenced it in, in my book um, that they had two blender salesmen doing demos at a mall. This is clearly like in the 80s when people went to malls and mm -hmm. they were doing demos of these blenders. Right. They had identical presentations, identical pitches. They would have, get, gather a crowd, then show this blender. Um, and one person would consistently not 
connect the top of the blender right. And so it would explode yeah. and make a big mess each time. And the person at the end of the day who was rated most likable and I believe sold the most blenders was the person who consistently didn't attach the blender to the top. Um, so the, I guess the takeaway is like, yeah, this this imperfection actually helped them in, in a, a measurable way. However, there was another study, this was done, I think, in the 50s, um, that had two groups, four groups of people, uh, two really competent speakers, two groups mm -hmm. of really competent speakers, and two rather like not great speakers. Sure. And all four of these people would give a presentation and they would spill coffee during their presentation. Now, the really competent speakers who spilled their coffee were rated the highest in likability and I think uh, 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 trust trustworthiness or something. Yeah. Um, the people who spilled their coffee who were incompetent, people just hated them. They just, yeah. Like, yeah. So the, the takeaway is prepare, be good at what you're doing. Then if you do have imperfection, it actually helps. But yeah. the table stakes are good preparation. Yeah. And that, so that the pratfall or the, that, yeah. that, um, pratfall effect. Yeah. That was so powerful. And I think, thinking about it in the frame of uh, acknowledging mistakes um, brings that connection and uh, not acknowledging mistakes is a contract to, to of dishonesty. It requires an in the moment uh, uh, reaction. If someone's doing the math in their head, like, is this something that I can get away with acknowledging without losing respect? You, you don't, you don't get connected in that way because even then you, you can feel like, someone's taking care of themselves and they would, they would compromise our shared reality for looking uh, and feeling comfortable and looking good. But I, you know what? I imagine like in, in a medical scenario, mm -hmm. there's an element from me as a patient, like I want to know everything's great. Like just right. tell me everything's going fine. And I mm -hmm. actually, may appreciate just not being brought in to the machinations of what's going on as long as somebody's paying attention similar to like a mechanic mm -hmm. yeah so i think that's an interesting thing like in terms of when you're talking about these imperfections it's like is the honesty from your side is that really to help the patient or is that to help you you know what I mean? Is that to make you feel better? Yeah. And that that's super interesting. I guess it all comes down to reality. Are you are you li living in a shared reality? You can. And what is it? What is an imperfection? Are you comfortable with the realities of mortality? Like, are you able to be present to realities that encompass so much imperfection? And not, so not necessarily your mistakes, but the things that are going wrong. One, separating your own ego, like we talked about earlier, from the things that are going wrong and someone's reaction to it. And then 
allowing space for that reality as someone is, is you know there's there's a pacing to to grief and there's a pacing to to tr- to tragedy in a moment of holding space for that reality as someone can come to it like you say you sometimes you're not ready for that but holding space for it yeah yeah interesting yeah because if somebody's you know work setting a bone or working on my heart and something i'm like i don't want the updates just like yeah <laughs> just do the thing and if something just fix it you know what i mean yeah, like yeah, yeah yeah right uh we spent so much time on the negative that we're at play now this is the good part this is a this is, we should have started here at the, is that the fifth p we're at that's yeah, the five fifth p the of fifth play. P. yeah this is the good stuff uh, and what you say about play, it's the appropriate level of play, playfulness that reinforces your connection to your audience mm-hmm. and creates a mm-hmm. pleasure in connection. And whenever I brought up clown, uh, medical clown, appropriate level, like, so it, it's, and that's why I think whenever you were talking about how difficult it is and you said how much respect you have for it, because it is so hard to, there, it is so hard to gauge like what is appropriate um, level of playfulness in this kind of awful situation. Right. Yeah. I mean, it feels, you know, in, in a normal audience performer scenario, there's a very heightened level of awareness I need to have with the audience of like, am yeah. I losing them? Did, did that go too far? How do I get them back? But in like those heightened scenarios of hospital clowning, there's a whole nother level of like, okay, what is, how's this person doing? Like, how did that last thing I did hit? Like, what is, what's going on with them? Um, A whole nother level, you know, uh, of, of, of awareness and listening. Yeah, but it's so worth, I guess what I want to say is that it's worth it. That pleasure exists. Um, so I'll tell you one story of like, I feel like I was a, a nurse clown in this moment where I was, I was uh, helping a friend with an IV. She couldn't get it. And it was a, an older lady kind of uh, delicate veins. So I was working in an ICU, but she was, better. She was actually transferring out of the ICU the next day. And I put in this IV and I was just like very vulnerable because I didn't want to hurt her. And I acknowledged, I acknowledged it. And she was so sweet and we had such a great connection. And the next day she was rolling out in her bed. She, so she's in the bed. My friend is taking care of her again. And she's rolling down the hallway at the foot of the bed, pulling her to the elevator And I see her going and I jump up on the back of the bed, like you're riding a grocery cart or something. And I look over and I go, where are you going? And she was Mm -hmm. such a beautiful moment. She was Mm. happy. She gave me a hug. Um, And that's, that's a moment in 10 years of nursing that, that I remember and makes everything worth it. Um, So finding these opportunities of play, I think, does it make you a better nurse? I think so. But does it enable you to be a nurse at all? I think so. Yes, as well. You know. 
That's awesome. Without burning out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's so great. Yeah. Finding those moments of joy and connection. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, and it's, go ahead. It's the same in performance. Like you feel like the stakes are so high. You feel like every eye is on you and it's hard to settle your nervous system, but reconnecting to the audience, what you're doing to the joy gives you an opportunity to be present and to do a good job. And I think that's true as a performer and as a nurse. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I was first studying this stuff, one of the exercises we did was like just taking an object and finding some kind of a silly game with the object, like, and doing something you're not supposed to do with a pencil or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, but the, the thing we were trying to find was on stage really true, not fake, truly finding joy that makes me giggle just myself with this pencil, like, and kind of the learning that was getting teased out was if I'm having fun with something and I'm like, you know, properly facing the audience and they can see my face, like the audience is going to like that. They're going to want to watch because I'm having fun. And I think, and what I said before was like getting your focus off yourself onto the audience. I think the commonality is getting the focus off yourself, like whatever onto something else that brings you joy is really the trick to a lot of this stuff. Yeah. I think that's caretaking versus caregiving is in caretaking you are really wrapped up in your idea of your own ability to be a healer or um, to be compassionate versus wanting for the person to have you wanting the person that you're, that you're interacting with to feel that compassion. Like it's a subtle difference in my opinion, but does, does that make sense as a. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And then that's what the first P is. It's like, yeah, I care. I, I'm focused on you. And if it doesn't work, I'm still okay. Like, yeah, I think that there, it's like, it's like a line in there between those two things of like, yeah, what if they don't receive it? Are you still all right? Like, how do you work on that? Yeah. Yeah. What, what did, what was the phrase you said? I'm still okay. If, uh, if they don't receive it. I'm still yeah. all right. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Like there's, there's, that's what you are enough. There's a resiliency. Like there's a little rock in there. That's going to be okay. Yeah. Like, you know, like, uh, yeah. And building that. As a nurse, how do you give that to the people you take care of and how do you keep that for yourself? As a nurse. <laughs> Well, yeah. in my nursing experience, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm thinking out loud, but it's all the same thing. You're all, even no matter what the stakes or what the connection is, it's all the same, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Cause like, I don't know about you, but like when I've been with performers who are okay as they are, and they have such joy in connection. Oh my gosh, there's nothing better than being around people like that. Like, yeah, they're okay, 
and they're just so happy to be connecting. Um, yeah, they don't you have need room it. to be curious. Yeah, 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 totally. It's so hard to be curious if you're concerned about yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or it's like yucky. It's like yucky curiosity. It's sticky, you know? It's yeah. like you can tell there's like strings in there. Um, Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else in play? There's so much there. Well, I mean, I think play, once you've gotten all these other components together, um, including the joy of connection, play talks about, it's as simple as saying, finding patterns, like finding patterns. Patterns are what make people laugh. Patterns are what make people giggle. We're very comfortable with repeating things. Um, and learning to catch those as they occur in real life is the secret to being, I think like, for lack of a better term, being funny. Like there are sticky people who do shtick all the time. And the more I've worked in this pattern world, the less patience I have with shtick. Um, (laughs) like, uh, I like to see, people find something unusual and repeat it later and heighten it. And that's kind of what play is. Um, And give some techniques of like learning how to see that happening as it's happening. So like you can bring joy to a situation. Yeah. I think that's super important for me. Um, And what I, what I kind of made clear in, in your section about play is that, Playfulness is finding joy and not necessarily the joy alone. It's, it's a way of being like, you can be playful and serious and acknowledge like, you, you know, I don't know, spray your flower when things are going wrong, when someone's not ready for it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you can be playful and being playful also means not playing whenever the, when it's not appropriate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's that, and it's really convoluted to say, but I think it really gets to the heart of this is it's like, if you're delivering information, you're kind of saying to the person, you know, this is important. I know this is important. You know, I know this is important. That's a given. But we can also have this other line of communication of having fun without messing up this channel of the stakes or or what's going on here. We can have fun in this medium of communication and Mm -hmm. not necessarily make that fun negate the stakes of what we're talking about. Um, And a lot of that is built through the other piece. Like if you're partnering with the audience, if you're together working on this problem, you can, and a lot of like uh, uh, difficult communication books talk about this, being able to step out of the conversation and talk about the conversation itself. Like, yeah. uh, are you able to do that? Or is it, this is the only thing we have? Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. 100%. Uh, so... We've been talking for an hour. I could talk all day, but I'm going to respect your time. I just want to say that this book is amazing. Um, And I wanted to communicate like, 
uh, it's for presenting, but it it really I really took all, so much of, from it about how to connect and how to be uh, joyful and how to um, be a better nurse. Truly. Wow. Thank um, you, Jason. Yeah. That means a lot. And you say, so in your conclusion in the book, you say that the world des- desperately needs more truth and honesty and that you are enough and the world needs you. Yeah. 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 There's that, there's that quote. I think I end it. And I say it like ever since I heard it, I say it in classes. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie Kaufman said it in, he's the the writer of like Eternal Sunshine and all these other movies. Really wacky. Yeah. I love his stuff. And he was delivering like a, 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 a speech at, at the graduation of some college. And he rapped with, we will express ourselves. And with this, other people won't so feel so alone. And that kind of points at the imperfection. It's like being courageous enough to show up authentically gives everybody permission to do that, you know? And, and it gets us away from this world that you're talking about of this false reality. It's like, this person's brave enough to be authentic. Maybe I have permission to do that. And yeah, a hundred percent of the time I've found in my classes, when people start doing that, they're so much better than they even imagined. And they don't even know how great they are. We have to tell them like, do you know how funny you are? And they're like, Oh no, I've always tried to not say that. I'm like, Oh no, that's the best part. Like that's awesome. (laughs) Um, So it's like a lot of the work I do starts with support just encouragement support and like pointing out these things that are great that people may not realize uh, about themselves because we're we're so much like give me the hard stuff tell me what i need to fix like that can create this really tight uh, not completely honest like delivery as opposed to starting with support you're going to open yourself up to so much more. Um, I think in speaking in terms of, of like bottom line, like so much for persuasion mm-hmm. and influence, like you'll be, if you're showing up with your whole self, people are going to listen to what you have to say, unless as opposed to crafting and making it perfect. Like uh, my premise is authenticity is, is the way to connect. Yeah, I agree. <sighs> So the takeaway I feel is like, if you want to be able to be a nurse long-term, you have to read this book to make room for your full self in the job and not be squeezed out of it, not have your soul squeezed out of you by doing this, this job. I couldn't have said it better myself, Jason. (laughs) I couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) All right. I end every interview. I say, I ask um, for a recommendation. Uh, do you have anything to recommend? Art, culture, food, anything, anything's oh, on the table. Um, you know, I meant to, I meant to give you a heads up and I didn't even give you a heads up. So I'm putting you on the spot. I apologize. Oh, no worries. Uh, I think what's her name. There's an, uh, a, a, Buddhist nun, you probably read it. The book, When Things Fall Apart. Oh, no. um, 
Hold on a second. It's right here. Hold on. Aha. Pema Children. It's an amazing little book. It's little readings. It's about dealing with all these things we're talking about. High stakes, loss, imperfection, mm-hmm. failure. And it just frames it in a beautiful way that I think helps, you know, learn. But also, if it's things are going bad, it helps right then. I'll feel better right after I read the paragraph. So yeah, I found that a really great solace for challenging times. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This was fantastic. Thanks, Jason. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I had a great time.